Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for black women by black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. This time we have a special guest returning to the show. Um, it is a surprise guest, Jessica Jamise Williams. And I'm so excited to have her back on the show. She was back. She came onto the show. You came onto the show in January, I think. Mm-hmm. And we had like a great conversation. I just wanted to talk to you all day long. But for those of you that are new, Let me just give you the rundown of the wonderful Jessica. So Jessica is um, newly promoted interim director of student affairs, creator of Golden Peaches, which is a healing and wellness brand that she's creating, facilitator, coach, and a New York Times bestselling author. Huge congratulations. I know this is like a top secret project back in January when we spoke, but yeah, what I mean, what's going on? I'm super happy Secrets to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I was I was sitting on the biggest secret ever when we talked last time and I was like, I wanna tell everybody. And I remember I thought I told you after we recorded, um, and we talked about this moment coming back, but since then it has just been I feel like every time I think about this project, I have a pinch me moment. Like it is, whenever I look at it, whenever I think about just the process of being involved, it's just, I can't even believe I'm there. And it's not even on some imposter syndrome kind of stuff because it's not about doubting that I belong, belong being there. It has just been the most incredible collection. And so when you read it all in its totality, it's just like, I can't believe I was like, I, I was a born in the time to know the people, to, you know what I mean? You just start yeah. thinking about all the things that had to conspire to get you to that moment. So that's what I mean by like the pinch me. It's just like, wow, it's so incredible. Um, but I have been true to form, giving myself more work um, <laughs> last week. We had, I did, I did like a relaunch of healing dialogues. I just wanted to have different conversations with the other SAS and the other contributors. And the feedback was so great from people like the SAS were sharing it on their social and then their followers were reaching back out to me and saying like, oh my God, this live was so great. And they're talking to me about the essays. And so I'm like, now I have all these conversations going on in my DMs. I was like, I gotta get this back out to the ether. So um, I'm working on doing just like book, I'm calling it like a book discussion instead of a book club because I'm not like making anybody read it. But if you've read it, I'm just going to post, you know, today we're talking about these two or three essays and come on and talk. Um, And I'll try to pre-book a couple of people that have already reached out to me um, 
to get into it with me and just like go through some of the essays but yeah I'm just along for the ride I feel like I I'm a fan first of of the anthology and I just so happen to be a part of it um but because I happen to be a part of it I have um you know access to the other essayists I have access to Toronto and Brene somewhat you know and I get to you know just tell them hey I'm thinking of doing this and they're like go for it I was like oh okay well I didn't know I didn't know you know so it's really cool um because those are some of those are my my like natural inclinations are to keep the conversations going and I think what I learned especially last week was that um in talking with the other essayists a lot of them wanted that too but whether or not they had the bandwidth to do the scheduling or like create the flyer or get I mean it's 20 people who are extremely busy and trying to find time and we're across many different time zones like it was a process you know and I made it I don't want to make it seem like I'm this great person but it was just like I just you really are. wanted it you to happen own it own it <laughs> I just really wanted you did that (laughs) so you know I think you're you're great at what you at what you decide to dedicate your energy to right Right. and I was deciding to dedicate my energy to getting these people in the room like I wanted to talk to them so I was gonna make it happen and I'm just delighted like I'm super over the moon that it all came together and there was such a positive response and we're just gonna keep it going and see if we can get more book discussions and essay discussions and um anybody who wants to talk to me about the book I'm open whether it's my essay or not like I don't most of the time people aren't talking to me about my specific essay we're just talking about it as two people who have read the book and engaged with the work which is cool um so yeah that's what's up with me uh, it's it's so awesome. And for anybody that doesn't know, let me go ahead and just give um, a little bit of information about this massive project that you're a part of. Um, so the book is an anthology. It's called You Are Your Best Thing, edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown. I will be posting links in the description for you to go buy it, get it on an audiobook, Kindle, whatever it may be, you have to get your hands on this book. So Jessica, along with, I believe it was 20, 20 contributors, contributed essays to this anthology. And it is all by Black writers, organizers, artists, academics, culture figures. Like it is, it, it's awesome. And I, I haven't read through the whole thing. I read through the beginning where Tarana and Brene are kind of going back and forth, talking about how they came to. Mm. And then I, I was like, I have to read hers. I can't go through everything and then read yours. So I yeah. skipped to Jessica's essay and I was reading it on my Kindle and I was highlighting like every sentence, every <laughs> sentence. I'm like, man, I can't ask her about every single sentence in the whole thing. But I, I was really moved by the work and I, I'm so excited for you and like just to see everything coming together. But also Jessica's essay is called Black Surrender Within the Ivory Tower and it is just a beautifully written essay and you kind of feel seen at the end of it that's how I felt so I know that when we spoke in January and you're like I have this big thing I have this big project that's that's gonna blow up like I and we're like yeah you're involved it's gonna blow up all the it's just awesome so 
Can you kind of tell us about how it went from being a tweet to Brene Brown to a New York Times bestselling yeah. anthology? <laughs> when, you, when you say it like that, it sounds like really, really, really wild. Um, yeah, so I last summer I was really stirred with, I was full of emotion, of grief, of anger, of pain, of everything. Um, after, you know, we're a witness, we saw the murder of George Floyd and the protest that broke out immediately after that, the Black Lives Matter protest. And, you know, just, I felt like because we were all sitting in the house and it's like 24 hour news cycle, we were just inundated with it, right? With yeah. all this news. And I, I needed a way to like get it out. And um, that, that was where Healing Dialogue started, but that's also around the time that I tweeted Brene and I just told her, because I was going to work, right? And I was having to function, but I was very aware and cognizant of the fact that like, I didn't want to be Black at work. I didn't want anybody to have or engage me in a conversation about Black America at work. I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. And I was really deeply happy that I didn't work in DEI at that time because I would have had nothing to offer the world. Um, and I think, uh, so I tweeted Brene and I was like, you know, vulnerability looks a lot different in black skin because I'm always vulnerable, you know, is what I was thinking. I, I didn't articulate it that way, but it was just like, the vulnerability that, you know, we're talking about is necessary in the workplace, is necessary in the workplace, but the ask is a lot different for mm -hmm. someone who is walking in Black skin and living their life in Black skin. And um, so I sent that tweet on like a Wednesday and Wednesday night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, if Renee reads this tweet tomorrow morning, like, how is she going to know you're qualified to have a conversation with her? And so I like wrote this, this blog. I just like found this old essay that I did for uh, a class in college. It was my ethical dilemma class in my doctoral program. And uh, it was my ethics class. And my ethical dilemma was how black am I allowed to be in these white spaces? And um, I just, started with that same basic premise and I, I brought it to right now and some of the considerations I had around being black in my white workplace and the next morning Renee sent me a dm and was like I love your article I think you would be great for this project and I was like okay I at most thought that she was going to have me like on like maybe I'd get to be on the podcast or something like that you know I, I, I never would have imagined that she was going to ask me to be part of this anthology but here we are she asked me to be a part of it I said yes before I could say no <laughs> <laughs> and you know me and the other essayists were just talking about this last week like a lot of us didn't know who else was going to be involved like we didn't know that Laverne Cox and Lovey and Song Yuni Taylor and PSA. I, I didn't know any of them were going to be involved. And um, <laughs> like 
Jason Reynolds just won like the highest children's literary award in the UK today, and he is an essayist. And I like sent him a DM and was like, "Hey, Jason, congrats!" And he's like, "Oh, thanks, ma'am." And in my head, I'm like, "This is just not. This was not even possible a month ago." You know what I mean? Like, just it's it's wild. It's really really wild. Um, when we got the news that that the book was on the New York Times bestsellers list. I, I it was the middle of the work day and I didn't know what to do with myself. I just went outside and started screaming. I just was <laughs> like, I, because A, I was, I was over the moon excited because I felt like the audience finally met this work. I felt like I'd been waiting for this moment to happen. Um, but also like, I knew this was gonna happen. I scripted this like I said this is going to be a New York Times bestselling book I knew before I knew anybody else was involved I just knew the subject matter and I knew the potential that it had and I knew if 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 other people's contributions were anything like what (laughs) the process that I went through to produce my piece I was like there's no way it's not going to resonate with people you know so I just I just knew and then to have that affirmation in that moment I I just I literally was just screaming and my mom was like what is going on I was like I just don't know what to do with myself (laughs) I was so happy and so yeah it, it just has been you know I write about surrender in my essay and this entire process has been one of faith and surrender because the whole entire time I was surrendering to feelings, right? I was like, oh my God, I feel over, overwhelmed. Like I need community. And so it's like, let's create some community. And it's like, I need to write this out. And then I wrote it out. And then I need, you know, every time it was like, I just need to surrender to what I need in this moment. And I really was just creating what I needed but then when you realize that like it's so much bigger than you right it's like this essay was healing for me to write but I know giving it away as an offering it allows it to touch so many other people and it's not mine anymore in that way you know it's 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 shared and I feel like that's really cool yeah so um yeah that's how that's been the the ride so far yeah, that's a beautiful journey. And I, I just love how all, everything that was supposed to happen seemed to just connect itself from the tweet to where you are now. And then the timing of it all, like um, mm-hmm. being able to really pour into this so that other people can kind of like find their words in yours and find those feelings that they're going through in yours. I know the last time we kind of talked about imposter syndrome and you talk a little bit about it in in your essay where you're kind of like having to tune everything out like what was that process for you when you were writing this essay trying to like basically tell yourself like you you should be here like you deserve to be here and we actually need your words in this book yeah hard took wine <laughs> lots of wine lots of wine uh, you know I'm not really a drinker so I don't want to take a glass but it it, it did it took it took me to just get out of my own head a little bit and out of my own way I think I was so you know Tarana I didn't know Tarana but she represented somebody who she was so bold and so vulnerable and her 
she used her story in such a powerful way. And then I have been studying Brene's like work and her, I've been just such a fan of her work and her for years. And so to be writing and knowing the two of them were gonna read it, it, it was paralyzing. If I if I kept that in the forefront of my mind, the whole time I was just like, Tarana's gonna read this. So what kind of sentence would Tarana wanna hear? You know what I mean? Like, or Brene, because we're gonna hear this. Brene. Right. But Brene doesn't wanna hear her words back to her. She can write those words, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I had to, um, I had to just like breathe. And another thing was, this was my, this writing process is very solitary and isolating. Normally when I write something, I have a writing partner or I will bounce things off of uh, like writing friends. I have writing community that I've built over the years. This was the first time that I didn't, no one read this and it was because I just I wanted people to experience it purely right right? so that meant that I couldn't share it that meant that I would I had no help (laughs) you know that meant that I had to rely solely on like capital in me is what I would say like the Mm -hmm. divine me had to emerge and produce this essay because Jessica was too in her head and worried about all of the the outcomes and um so I just needed like the divine need to show up and take over yeah and so my work then was really truly was like work of surrender just getting out of the way but say I've I've trained and worked really hard to be able to do that it's not I want to say like that's what it was but also let people who are listening know it's really freaking hard to do that like and and acknowledge it's work yeah it's it's super it's brave work too because I think for you to take a step to say I'm just going to basically do this on my own and I'm not going to have anybody take a look at it and you don't have those like tiny steps of you know reassurances like oh yeah you're in the right direction and you mm-hmm. kind of get that little nudge, like, okay, well, this person said it's good. This person said, you know, it gave it the thumbs up and now I feel a little bit better. Like that's, that's very right. brave to just write it and say, I trust myself. I trust, you know, my abilities and I trust like my ability to take my experience and put it into words. And I'm just going to go for it. Like that's extremely brave. I commend you for that. Brave or crazy or both. Hey, they, they could be both, but it worked out. <laughs> they right. both, but it worked out. It, it definitely worked out. It, it could have not. But yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a lot of courage involved in that. Yeah. And I don't think I was aware. I don't think I was thinking about it like that at the time, you know, mm-hmm. it, because it was such a fast turnaround. It was like, you want to be involved? Yes. Okay, great. Can you produce this in like two weeks? Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> And, um, you know, the school year is starting and, you know, like I, I, you know, all of these other things. And so I'm just like, (sighs) yeah, how, but you know, you get it done. And I, I think for all of us, it was like, it's like a turning inside out process. We just wanted to do the best that we could. And so for me, it was just like, is, is this, essay your best offering right 
And if that was my best offering, I could be okay with it. You know what I mean? I, it, it became about that and not so much about um, the words that I was saying or not like the way that I was saying it or like, who, you know, who was going to hear it. It was like, is this the best articulation of your experience? Is this the best telling of this story? Is this, is this landing in the way that you want it to land? And I think I really tried to just tell the truth and tell my truth um and I really didn't play around with a lot of a lot of times I'm a very poetic writer I guess and so I write almost like musically and so when sentences don't make sense I'll rearrange a lot I really didn't do that this time except the last sentence the uh limit dangerous limitless sovereign I once I read that I was like I think this has to be the last line because originally it wasn't. It was in the middle and I moved it to the end because um, I was like, this feels like a little bit of a, like, this is a mic drop moment. Like nothing else yes. needs to be said after you say that. So yeah, for the most part, it just flowed in the way that you read it was the way that it came in the way that I drafted it. You know, I really didn't have a ton of uh, changes in that sense of like structure but um for what was included in the essay but really my only edits came back from Sarah and Brene were like more give us more detail mm -hmm. you know and um or more as much as you're comfortable of telling and I think it was it was cool because you I'm so used to academic writing right and it's distinct and it's brief and it's concise Right. And so to ask, to have someone ask, like, no, breathe a little bit more into this. I was like, oh, this is nice. Um, so that felt good. And it felt good knowing that they wanted it said in my words, right? Like right. there wasn't a lot, there weren't edits that came back and, and changed my sentences or my words or the way I said something. It was like, what do you think about, you know, this? you know, and it was a suggestion, like, you can take it or you can not take it, right. and so I thought that was really cool, I have no idea if that's, like, par for the tourist publication, but, like, that's what I'm expecting now, <laughs> I've had so much autonomy, um, yeah. that I feel like it should always be this way, but I, it was just, like, a beautiful process of co-collaboration and creation with, uh, the editors, because they really, I feel like, wanted our voice to be to rise to right. the top and, and really be unearthed and I feel like Tarana uh truly created the space for us to do that in her feedback and in her edits and in like kind of the way that she talked to us through the process so the the essay is just written beautifully and in, in the fact that I know that you talk about surviving a traumatic experience and just kind of trying to figure out what that journey of healing looks like. Can you talk about some of the importance of becoming resilience like in on that journey or trying to at least get yourself, get your head wrapped around what that journey could potentially look like? Yeah, you know, I thought February, 2015, I was sexually assaulted. And at that time I was, in graduate school, I was already a trained therapist and had gone through uh, my counseling degree and all that. So I knew, like in my head, I knew you should report this, you should go to a counselor, you should, you know, do all the things. And so I did all those things, but I went to my psychiatrist and I was like, look, I got six weeks until I have to defend this dissertation. 
medicate me. Yeah. I don't have time for breaking down in therapy. I'll go, but I just don't have time for the breakdown right now. Right now, I need to just get through the next eight weeks, whatever it was. And my psychiatrist, I think he, I was just very matter of fact about it. And, um, and so for at that particular moment, resilience felt like getting through. And then when I got to that summer and I really started feeling the, the symptoms of PTSD and trauma and anxiety, and I was like, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't function. Um, I... I started to learn what was, I, I had to redefine what, what resilience looks like because I couldn't push through anymore, you know? And that's what I had always thought resilience was. That's what I always thought fortitude was, which is forward motion at, you know, by any means necessary kind of a thing. And when I lost the ability to push through, I was like, well, now what? What do I do? Mm. And nobody could really tell me. I remember calling my mom and I was like, I think I'm having a mental breakdown. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I can't get out of bed. I'm just crying. I'm not eating. I don't, I can't work. I can't, I can't do anything. And she was like, I don't know what to tell you to do, Jessica, other than come home. Mm-hmm. Like she, you know, it was just like, I can help take care of you. And I remember going home and it was like, I was a kid again. You know, my mom was helping me with my meals. My mom was doing my laundry. My mom was just, and I don't, she kind of fussed at me and she's like, you came back here and you're like a kid again. I don't know if she realized like I needed that because I wasn't doing, it just was going undone without her being there. And so, um, you know, it, I started to, as I started to kind of move through it and um, this, I could manage the, the symptoms better. I started to realize like, this isn't, this pushing through thing isn't gonna work. Yeah. I, I can't do that. Yeah. I'm going, you know, it's like, you feel good for a couple of days and then you have one day where you're feeling awful and you push through, you've used all the energy <laughs> that yeah, you just your stored tank up. Is empty. Like, yeah. Your tank's completely empty. Yeah. And so I had to learn how to rest before I had to learn how to how to listen to my body and figure out like I just took I took an off day yesterday from work and I was like I can feel it my body is close to shutting down like I'm my anxiety is high my throat is sore my eyes are swollen from allergies have just been like I was like you need to rest your body needs to just rest and today I feel a lot better like I feel great but I started to learn how to listen like a lot earlier and so now my resilience looks like care and compassion for myself like uh preventatively or daily right routinely um whereas before it was like you just push through when something bad happens just keep pushing keep pushing keep pushing and it's like no every moment you have to check in with yourself and ask like are you okay to push do you need rest do you need water do you need to play do you need a hug like what do you need um I had to learn how to listen to myself and I remember when one of my therapists told me you know I wrote about this in the essay he was like what is your anxiety trying to tell you I was like what 
it just never dawned on me that anxiety was communicating. To me, anxiety was this like outside thing that had infiltrated my body. It was not part of me. You know what I mean? It was like, it was almost like a virus. Like something had come in and invaded me. I did not realize, no, anxiety is what happens when your body is responding inappropriately to the outside world because of trauma. I was like, oh, it's, it's me? That was a huge reframe for me because I'm thinking I've got to stop whatever's out there. And he's like, no, you've got to listen to what's in here. I was like, oh, yeah. my body's talking to me. That's what this is. I'm just screaming. You know, it's like when you're having a panic attack, you're at the point where your body is having a temper tantrum. And so I had to learn how to listen to my anxiety when it was just like at palm sweat or at pacing or, you know, at nervousness and, um, and attend to myself better. But yeah, it was, it was such a huge reframe for me to understand that my anxiety was actually me communicating with myself um, and to listen to myself because I just never made that connection before. Yeah. That, that, that particular part of your essay um, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to quote a little bit of it. Um, but you have a piece where it says it would be years until I could recognize that voice as my own. But from that session, I begin working on trying to hear my anxiety before it started to scream. So I read that and I had to like, stop. And I was, I, it was so interesting because of course the whole podcast is based not just saying on anxiety, but there's a large focus on anxiety as well as mental health. And it just, I think we often talk about how to get rid of anxiety and how to mm -hmm. like stop anxiety. And I think this was one of the first times where I've heard somebody else and, and even gotten the idea of like, maybe this is just another voice my body is using to try to communicate with me. And mm -hmm. I just, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and I just really like the folk, the switch from trying to get rid of it to trying to understand it and listening to it and acknowledging it as something, a way that your body's trying to communicate with you and trying to use mm -hmm. that to help, you know, bring it down as opposed to just pretend, you know, just getting rid of it altogether. Right. Yeah. Cause I felt like I couldn't get rid of it and I felt like a failure because I wasn't able to get rid of it, you know? It's like cranes in the sky. She tried to drink it away, smoke it away, sex it away, shop it away, like that it. Yeah. Somebody, somebody online was like, what's the it? Like for me, it was anxiety. Yeah. And I tried all those things and it was still there. And so it was like, it's not going anywhere because it's you, babe. Like yeah. it's you. <laughs> so once I understood that, I was like, okay, what do I need? What am I trying to communicate to myself? Um, and a lot of times I find that uh, my anxiety is just telling me I'm afraid. Like you are afraid in this moment. You don't feel safe. Right. Um, there's something in, that's happening in the moment that is making me feel, or that reminds me, reminds my body of a time where I felt unsafe or where mm -hmm. I felt un uncertain or unsure. And so my body is having a reaction similar to the one where I was, in trauma and so it's like you can tell yourself 
or when you can A, recognize it, and then you can tell yourself, okay, I'm having this reaction because it reminds me of that moment, but that is not this moment. This is right now, and I am safe, you know? Yeah. But that that's like seven years of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a long way to get to that's a long, that's a long I mean, journey. It, it sounds so easy it sounds so like but you know I want you know, anyone listening to know it's a lot of hard work to continually retrain your thoughts as they come because first you have to catch them you know so often we are just living in the experience of our body we're not even thinking about what's actually happening but when we have we when you're working with something like anxiety you have to stop and think about it. You have to stop and think about like, what is actually happening with my body right now um, in order to treat it. Otherwise it just knocks you around. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you literally just get knocked around by your symptoms. I wasn't happy living the, a life trapped by my symptoms. They were too severe. So I had to figure out a way to listen and to really hear myself and, um, to start giving myself safety and giving myself peace so that my symptoms would subside, right? Because yeah. otherwise it, it just wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. Um, I know that, <clears throat> excuse me, you talk about, you know, once you eventually get on this healing journey and start to recognize, you know, the way that your body is communicating with you and and trying to figure out like what what that looks like once you get into that stage of like, now you're actually healing, um, you, you say something in, in the essay, I wanted to be allowed to be a mess and in repair. And that was really powerful because like, how do you give yourself permission to be a mess and in repair as you know an educated black woman or just a black woman in general, but I know for you in particular, being a black woman in a predominantly white space in education. Like, how does that work? Real, real hard. Um, I, honestly, I, I just remember feeling like I'm not going to carry the shame. I'm not going to carry one bit of the shame of what happened because it was not my fault. Like, from the very beginning, I said that. And so I wanted to, like, if I didn't like what I was wearing, I had to wear something comfortable because all of a sudden I couldn't, my anxiety would kick up if I didn't feel safe in my clothing, right? Yeah. So I started to dress differently and I couldn't stand perfume, but it couldn't stand certain scents and smells. Um, just like certain things changed like really, really fast. And, you know, I just remember people would be like, oh, are you okay? I'm like, I don't, I don't need that. Like, I don't need the babying. I don't need you to be, like, ignorant of what's going on. Like, I want you to know, like, yes, I'm going through something, but I'm not broken. Just let me tell you what I need. And, I, I like, I want you to know that I, I may be a little fragile right now, but I'll tell you when I need accommodations. I try to just continually communicate that with people um, imperfectly sometimes, but... For me, it was just really important to be allowed my humanity. I think that's what I would rename it now. You know, I, I called it in the essay, like I wanted to be a mess and in repair, but 
honestly, it's just humanity. I just wanted to be able to not have to be strong, not have to be this, not have to be anything. I wanted to be able to wake up, be how I felt. Yeah. Um, and for people to trust that I could still do all of the things that I had signed up to do unless I said otherwise. You know, unless I'm giving you an indication right. or unless I'm saying I can't, then then I need you to trust me that I can and, and, and allow me to still, you know, do my thing. And so I I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I it's hard to know what, like when I look back, some things still feel like, they didn't treat me right or they didn't you know like certain places or certain spaces but it's hard to know because you're in such a a fragile space in that time right. it's hard to to really discern and so I've just had to just have forgiveness for anybody and anything and just say you know what I wasn't myself and so they weren't responding to my best version of me and so mm. it's hard to hold someone accountable in a relationship when they're responding to not your best self. So I'm like, you know, you just got to forgive and move forward. But um, yeah, I feel like it was, it was hard. Yeah. It was hard to manage that and hard to, to kind of navigate that self and find, give myself grace for having humanity. I would take days off. For, like I'd be on full disability leave and just be at home crying because I was like you know my doctor's like go outside and walk the sun is good for you I live in San Diego I can go to the beach I would feel horrible if I went to the beach and because it's like I should be at work other people can't go to the beach during the day other right. people can't do that like I, I like the guilt would be so paralyzing that I would just end up sitting at home in bed and I'm like this isn't good for my mental health either so you know I had to work through I had to work through that too um but it's all just retraining your mind re redefining a lot of things you know redefining strength redefining resilience um and grace being the gateway to allowing yourself full humanity yeah definitely and I, I think I, I always I've wondered because because you're a facilitator and because um, you are an educator like how do you translate that from your own experiences and extend the same type of grace to your students and you know the people that you work with yeah well for me you know when I teach it comes like this I remember I was going through a mess of a time with my anxiety and so what it translated to in my classroom was everybody gets three absences I don't need to know what happened I love and that. I don't you know it was like I don't need a doctor's know you manage you're an adult you manage yourself and you make it work and then I had a rule where um normally it's like you can't come in late I'm such a stickler for time and time boundaries because I had students that were single parents, students that were in the military, students that were differently abled and they didn't, they couldn't move as fast around campus. I had a lot of different accommodations that needed and reasons for people to be coming in late or leave early. 
And so I just flipped it and said, you know, we're going to make the most important part of class, the middle part, the middle 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, and just have grace, you know, but it's, it's translated into that. It's translated into me not really giving a shit about grades as an yeah. instructor. And I will tell my students that I'm more concerned. And if you feel like I give an assignment and you think, you know, Dr. J, I can turn this in a different way. Can I do this instead of doing a paper? Can I do a song or a play or blah, blah, And I'll be like, yes, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I want to accommodate different learning styles. I want to accommodate different modalities of taking in and outputting information. Like, and I work with people who are healing practitioners, right? So I work with people who are going to be working as therapists, counselors, or teachers. And it's like, why would I not? model what it is to be a an inclusive uh, like a truly inclusive educator um by figuring out how can I best accommodate my students and and those accommodations meaning accommodating their mental health care you know I can't um I remember once I started talking about my own assault once I started I told my students you know like I have experienced sexual assault Sometimes I have triggers. One of those triggers is this. And so sometimes when that happens, because it was like a, a sound that would happen frequently on campus and I would notice because mm. it would happen all the time. So I just, I felt like, let me just tell them what's going on <laughs> because every time this happens, I start these panic sweats and they're right. looking at me like, what is going on with Professor State? So I told them, I said, you know, loud noises trigger me. When I hear this noise every day, it was like the, like a food truck or a little food stand shutting down. But whenever I heard that slam, mm. it brought on like a visceral reaction. Yeah, it brought mm. it on. And so I was just like, look, this is what's going on for me. This is what's happening. When I opened that door, I had four students over the course of a semester report instances of sexual assault or sexual violence. Wow. That's, that's, what 10 percent of my class wow what you know when you just make the space right and I I think for so many people it doesn't have to be anything more than that a lot of times you know um yes you can be a great advocate by doing all of these great things but sometimes a conversation and just making space and being non-judgmental just being a receptive and and compassionate place to land for people is some of the best healing work that you can do um and I think just being able to be that for a lot of my students um and even with uh my clients like I don't want to say I have no boundaries but like I'm like text me if you need me call me if you need me send me a message if you need me whatever you know, and they're like, oh, I bet you're so busy. And I was like, I am, but I will message you when I can. Yeah. Right? Like, trust me to manage my boundary, but right. that doesn't mean that I'm not accessible to you. Just know that I will manage that boundary and just trust me. And so yeah. they're like, okay, okay. But, you know, sometimes it takes reaffirming people and, and reassuring them because I think a lot of times some people cannot mean that or a lot of times those offers have not been made before um right. i'm sure a lot of people genuinely heard that. 
<laughs> they haven't heard yeah. that before and haven't had anybody genuinely offer it. And I think it's it's beautiful that it's not just like, hey, text me at any time and I'll definitely text you back. It's just a very open, like, hey, if you, you know, reach out to me, I'll get back to you when I can. And that's really, I think that's a great way to balance like your commitment with also mm-hmm. your own mental health and making sure that you're keeping those boundaries in place. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that, like, I thank you so much for sharing, you know, with your, about your sexual assault that you unfortunately had, you know, went through, mm-hmm. but I, I appreciate you telling your story because I know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that have gone through the same thing and haven't had, you know, the professor or the teacher that has been graceful with them. And I think when Mm -hmm. you extend that grace to your uh, students, hopefully that causes a ripple effect in the spaces that they then go into after you, they bring that same grace, you know, for everyone else. Like that's definitely something everybody can start to implement. Absolutely. I, I hope so. You know, I hope that if nothing else, from my classroom, my students took from me compassion because I was extremely compassionate with them. And I think, uh, you know, some students could pick up on that. Some students could just receive it and move on, but some students could be like, I really understand that you're taking a lot of care or you're, you're taking a lot of time with us, you know, and they could see it. And so I hope that they um, pay that forward in their workplaces. Because like I said, I was working with counselors, I was working with teachers. And so the best thing that they can do is then pay that forward in their own practice. And Absolutely. I have gotten to work with, you know, now my students are in the places where they're directing shit and they're hiring me to do things or we're collaborating on things. And it's so amazing to see them in their own practice and how they've grown into it. And I'm like, ooh, they got that for me. Like mm-hmm. I planted that little seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's just like certain phrases you say or certain ways that you explain things that you know they got from you, or um, that you know. Uh, I remember where that conversation came, or I remember you didn't always feel that way, and I can see how you changed and your your views have evolved. Um, so I love, love, love seeing how my my former students have grown and matured in their own practice just as a result of being around each other, but also living into the work of like, just being willing to, to, to go there. Cause all yeah. of my classes were hard in that way. You know, yeah. like I'm not gonna allow you to stay superficial in my classroom. It's yeah. just not, not gonna cut it. Yeah, it's not productive either. I remember my favorite teacher that I had when I was in college is Dr. Moore. And it was an African-American studies class. I took like three of his classes, but the first, I wanna say the first day of his class, I was sitting up front and there's like 300 people in class and I like rose my hand and I tried to answer a question. He was like, no, you have to dig deeper than that. And I think I was a really good student all through high school. And that was like the first professor that was ever like, no, you have to literally go deeper than that. Like it's more than just, the superficial answer that you thought I wanted yeah. to hear. And I think it's it's so great because it's left a lo- lasting effect on me. And I know that for sure is happening, obviously in your classes where you are planting a seed and forcing people to dig a little bit deeper 
and most importantly, giving them space, which I know we talked about the first time you came on, which is, you know, being able to create space and hold safe spaces for people. So that that's just awesome. I, I want to ask you about, um, there's a point in the essay where you talk about your friend Rose mm-hmm. and Rose makes a comparison between, you know, basically grapes and how they're grown and self-acceptance. So at this moment, like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling like a port, a Cabernet, Prosecco? Like, how are you feeling today? <laughs> oh, today, what is she? Today, she might be a cab. Today, okay. she's good. Okay. Um, that's so fun. I love, I love Rose. I want, you know, one of the reasons I really included her in this because I wish the world could meet her. She's just such good energy. And of course, like when she read, I sent her a copy of the book and when she read it, she's like, Jessica, I don't even remember this conversation, but how lovely you, it stayed with you. You know what I mean? But it's just like, that's just the power of somebody like that. They can literally say something that can shift your whole life and it just be like another day wouldn't be for them. They have no idea. So yeah, I feel really good today. I feel like purpose filled um and I think that's the that's the point of that analogy right it's understanding that even at your worst you still have value and even at your you know quote unquote worst you know it's just the feeling of worth even when you're not feeling your best and you're feeling like you know I have to do this I should be more of this or I should be less of this it's like no I still have a value just as I am in this moment yeah. I still have uh, have worth. I still have importance. I still matter, and um, I think that was important for me to understand because I, at that moment, at the time where I was talking to Rose, I felt like, oh my God, I'm never gonna get back to who I was, and so I'm never gonna be like valuable again. I'm never right. going to be that girl again. How am I ever going to get? all of the things that I had planned for my life and I can't get through graduate school like how you know it just didn't make any sense to me and so for her to tell me that I still had value and to tell me like you're just gonna produce differently now yeah you know I was like right like of course but I just I didn't I didn't you don't know what you don't know exactly (laughs) I guess and so uh, she provided that reframe for me and it was everything I needed in that moment to continue, you know, yeah. my journey of wellness and continue getting better just with the knowledge that who I am as I am is still worthy. And, and it's not just a, I'm not hustling for worse. I'm not hustling to get better. So now I'm worthy, you know, yeah. it's like, no, I'm worthy like this. Right now in this moment. Right now. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I know that you you have a couple of quotes. Well, I, I have a ton of quotes, but um, I know that in particular, you have a South African, a quote about a South African greeting. Um, and mm-hmm. the greeting, just to kind of like summarize it, it is a South African greeting that translates to, I see you or I acknowledge your existence. Um, and the response is, translated to English I am here when you see me you bring me into existence and I have to go back I have to go back and 
just highlight this because I think this really embodies what you do, at least from my perspective. I think that just with your ability to create safe spaces, to be vulnerable and to allow and to allow yourself to share, I think it really allows other people to see themselves. So I think that's super powerful. Like I'm, I'm so happy that, that you came onto the show. <laughs> um, I told you I would. I know you did. You did. Um, okay. So the last quote, I know you brought it up earlier. Let me just read this gem. Cause I actually, I read it and I copied it and sent it to my mom. And I was like, mom, order this now. Like <laughs> this moment. <laughs> um, so here it is. Dangerous is the woman who can give herself what she used to seek from others. Limitless is the woman who dares to name herself. The way I see it, shame cannot oppress what acceptance has already claimed for sovereignty. Like, I want to put that on the wall of my office. <laughs> like, what does this quote mean to you? Uh, everything. I have been saying pieces of that quote for years. Um, you know, I've just been, I've had this idea about, um, you become dangerous when you don't need people to clap for you. I've had that idea floating around in my head for a while. And, um, you know, it just came from being a Black woman in, high, in higher education. I was not the one getting the awards. I was not the one who was the teacher's favorite. I was not the one, but I knew I was the one who was the best. I knew, I was like, you're not going to convince me. And it could be delusion, I own that, but- Or it could be reality. Or it could be reality, you know? It's like, um, and it, it wasn't, no shade to other people. I, and I don't mean my doctoral program. I feel like we were all very different here, but my master's program, you know, to walk out of that program and not be awarded every accolade was just wild for the amount of work and for the amount that I put into that program. And then there were some things at my graduate school that I, I felt like I should have been acknowledged for, but, you know. In due time, because when, you know, I don't when need it's time, it. it's time. I don't, <laughs> I, it's like, it's like, I, pe I see you, I see you. I yeah. know you saw me and I know you didn't want to say my name and it's okay, Yeah. but I see you and, um, you know, now the rate's doubled. It's all good. Okay, triple it, triple it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good because you know it's like I never. You won't. You'll. You'll remember me next time. How about yeah. that? You know. No, that's how I feel. So it's like I. That's Dame. That's why it's dangerous. And then limitless. So much of that was cooking up right around the time. Did you watch uh, Lovecraft Country? Uh yes, I did watch Lovecraft Country. What did you think? So, oh, I, amazing. I was yes. like all into it from just like a nerd history yeah. perspective. I've, I've been waiting for a show like that with Black people since I think I was born. I don't think yeah. I've seen anything like it. It was it awesome. It was <laughs> amazing. Yes. Um, and so I remember watching it and that the, um, the Name Yourself episode right and I'm thinking oh my gosh this is what I mean like you are literally you, you literally get to name yourself anything you're limitless in what you're allowed to do and you're only limited by your imagination right 
And so, you know, that's where that came in. And I felt very affirmed when I saw it in Lovecraft Country. I actually wrote about it in my blog. Like, oh my God, there's this thing that I've just been floating around. And then um, the sovereignty piece has just been, sovereignty's been my word for like years where I've just, you know, if somebody were to ask me what's the most important, like what's my core value, I would say freedom. Mm. Um, and and being sovereign, you know, being self-governed, being self, you know, I, I rule myself. Mm. And I think that's just such a dope ideology, I guess, or just um, a way, I think of it as a way of taking personal responsibility and accountability, but also, you know, it's like, I have the freedom, I have the choice, I have, I, I make the rules for me, like somebody else doesn't get to make rules for me, we can agree on some, some things, for sure, yeah, but I, you don't get to just blindly dictate to me, because I'm sovereign, so I, you know, the, the way that it came together was just God, I just, I typed, but once I read it, I was like, oh, this is a good, this is a good sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, those ideas have just been floating around in me for years now and just putting them together. You know, I'm like, oh, I want it on merchandise. I want it on a shirt. I want it on a hat. I want it on all the things. But just for myself, I yeah. want the reminders. Um, I want to remember that I don't need anybody else's applause, that I don't need accolades necessarily, right? Like this book was amazing before the New York Times said it was. Yeah. But now that the New York Times said it was, it's like even even better. Great. Yeah. But just know that it was amazing even before that. And I want yeah. to, especially um being a black person operating within dominant culture, I I, I always wanna kind of keep that in check for myself right because it's like I want to achieve I want to be great I want to da da and then when you ask yourself what does achievement greatness look like it's like if it's winning an Oscar <laughs> you know it's like that yeah. achievement is based on whose met metric for whom what audience and then does that align with your actual values and so you know it's constantly like oh let me reassess is that yeah. really goal? Is that really something that I want? But yeah, that's something that I've been battling with. I want to say, like the past year, I've been trying to. It's been tough to figure out what exactly I want to do because so much of like my upbringing has been steeped in making sure that I'm doing what everybody expects me to do, whether that be on the basketball court, whether that be academically, whether that be just mm -hmm. as like a human being, whether that be as a woman, like so many different things. But it. It is like beautiful to see someone like you that is, that does have sovereignty and it's very inspiring um, to, to try to like, you know, achieve that at the very least and, and get to the point where you're not waiting for approval before you can move forward. Like, I mean, you did it literally with your essay. You just wrote it and turned it in. Like, I think that's pretty, <laughs> that's, that's pretty aligned yeah. with, with, the, with the quote at the end, you know? Um, yeah. so I, I just really think it's inspiring what, what you've done and what you continue to do. Um, and I, I do wonder like 15 years ago, like what would you, what affirmation would you give yourself 15 years ago? 15 years ago, what would I say to myself? 
Mm-hmm. Like what affirmation or, you know, what piece of advice would you give to yourself 15? Jessica, 15 okay, years what, ago. What was I 15 years ago? Oh, I was just graduating college. I wouldn't have listened. It wouldn't have mattered what I said. <laughs> but I might have told myself to trust myself. That, that would have been the only advice I ever would give myself is to trust your gut trust your intuition listen to yourself tune out the doubt and just trust yourself um you know I feel like the I don't have any regrets but when I look back to my life when I look back on my life and I think about pivotal moments uh like you know your sliding door moments where it's like oh my life could have easily been very different if I had done something differently here right um when I think about those um the thing that makes me feel okay is that I trusted myself in those moments. It's like, no, I, you know, I, I could have done this thing, but I know it wasn't the right thing for me. It would have been really cool. It might've been, you know, it might've led to more something faster or whatever, you know, but I didn't need it then. And I think about this all the time, like YouTube wasn't a thing when I was in college, but if it had been, I would have completely been a YouTube kid because I used to love making videos and photos and editing and just sitting and talking to people and blah, blah, blah. And it didn't really become a thing until I was already out of college. I was working. So at that time, you don't have the same time space. Like my friends weren't living with me, that kind of a thing. But I just think about, you know, like what if, you know, if I were in college right now, it'd be a completely different story. You know, I'd be all over the social media world because I genuinely love to connect and engage with people in that way. Um, But there weren't many spaces for it. And so that's how I just ended up knowing people around campus because I was just hungry for conversation. I wanted to talk to everyone. Um, But, you know, it's like everything happens in the timing that it should. And I'm super cool with the fact that I joke with my friend, I'm like, if any of this success had come to me then, like 15 years ago, I would have been in rehab um, many times. Yeah. Because I would, I would have used substances or partying to manage my anxiety and to mm. manage my depression. I would have self-medicated. I know I would have. Because that's, those are, that's what was around. You know, everybody was binge drinking in college. Right. Um, and... I just didn't have any other tools besides medicine or self-medication, which is what you see other people doing. Like, oh, you had a stressful day at work? Have a glass of wine. Have another glass of wine, you know? Mm-hmm. Have a bottle. Have um, a shot. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, it just would have, it would have been more of that. Yeah. And um, that's not healthy for me. So I'm, I'm grateful that things worked out in the way that they did, but yeah, 15 years ago, me would not have listened to that thing. <laughs> She's a hardhead. I have She's to hard-headed. Just, oh, for sure. I have to just experience things and hope for the best. Too. Yeah. I, I get that. <laughs> well, I'm Jessica, I, I'm, I'm very thankful that you've taken the time out. I'm so glad we're able to catch up. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't already, the name of the anthology is You Are Your Best Thing, um, edited by Tarana Burke, Brene Brown. Um, 
Jessica, where can they get the book? Everywhere. I would say buy local, buy local. If you have a local black bookstore, pop in there, pick it up. Um, if they don't have it, ask them to carry it. <laughs> um, but check, I think it's bookstore.org will tell you, um, you know, a list of local bookstores, but look for black bookstores, local black bookstores Love in it. your area. Yes. And Jessica, tell us about the projects that you're working on. I know you've got, um, I mentioned it earlier, but tell us a little bit about Golden Peaches. Absolutely. So Golden Peaches is a wellness, health and wellness brand that I am starting with a colleague of mine, Esther. I'm kind of the, I'm the facilitator. She's like operations. So I'm like, the face, I guess. But basically, it's going to be the brand that houses my coaching, my facilitation. Right now, I'm actually doing a coaching cohort where I'm working with people individually and as as well as in a cohort. And we're working on alignment and scripting. So it's kind of a marriage of my academic like leadership, counseling, therapy kind of work. And some of the energy, spiritual, holistic living work that I, I do on the side. And I get to use golden peaches to marry them so I don't have to stay in this academic world. But uh, golden peaches is, is just like my baby. I've been dreaming about for so many years about having a wellness plan that was focused on facilitation, focused on dialogue, right? And using dialogue as a means to create community, as a means to create change, and really as a means to promote wellness and empowerment. So that is my brainchild. Um, We're going to be working on it right now. So we're going to be launching this summer. And it's like, I'm getting booked for things faster than I can even get the website done, which is a great problem to have, but like I gotta, (laughs) (laughs) I gotta have some time to like get, make it all happen. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? People can find me most readily on Twitter and Instagram at the Jessica underscore J. My DMs are always open. I'm just easy to, to contact and I'm not really on Facebook. I really I have a Facebook profile just so my family knows I'm alive. So I don't really give people Facebook because you would be disappointed by me there. But Facebook <laughs> and Instagram and Twitter are my two. And then I also have a website that is the hub for all of my projects that I work on. Um, and that is uh, jessicajanice.com. And it's Janice, basically Jane with an E on the end. J-A-M-E-S-E. Oh, I didn't, I never caught that. Yep. That's a, that's an easy way to do it. (laughs) Well, make sure that you guys go and follow Jessica on all of her socials, check out her website, keep an eye out for all the great projects that she's got, um, coming up and, um, yeah, thank you so much, Jessica. I'm I'm just like cheesing from ear to ear. Y'all can't see it. You are, you are so (laughs) happy I'm I'm just me I told you I like I told y'all was coming why are you crying (laughs) (laughs) oh man no I'm just I'm just really um really thankful and I really hope that people go out and follow you and also get the book um I'm excited to read the rest of the book um I'm a huge fan of Laverne Cox I just can't wait to get to her part but I will say, I, did you get the physical copy of the book or did you get what? How did you get it? I just have it on my Kindle. I need to buy the okay. actual book, though. You need to get I mean, I'll just to get the actual book because it's great. 
with the audio books because I think with the exception of maybe one or two people, everybody read their own essay in their own voice. Oh, okay. And so for me, genuinely, like I read the book and I, I read the book in February and I was like, this is going to be a really good book. But when I heard the book, I mean, like I could listen to two essays that I needed to sob, process, write. I think it's something about, because you know, when you're, re- when you're reading it in the person who wrote it's voice, you know the cadence that they want. You know how they wanted the sentence to be read. You know how they, you know what I mean? It's just a yeah. very different feel. And so um, hearing the essays just land way different I would highly 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 recommend audible they need to be friends with me because I have told everybody like (laughs) audible 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 but like get it where you can listen to it because um and and simply for the fact because we we read our own essays you know so it's like when you get to Laverne you'll get to hear Laverne reading her essay you know when you get to Princess Princess is reading her essay um same thing for yellow and kaya like everybody's doing their own it's just so beautiful um especially if you're a fan of some of these writers you know you get to you get to connect with like they're talking to you about this so um that's my little plug for the audio version okay so shout out to audible even though we're sponsored by them we're not sponsored sponsored. but i will definitely check it out I could be. be. Yeah, you never know. But I will definitely um, check out Audible. Check out the book on Audible. Um, You are your best thing. And yeah, this will be my first audio book because I'm very much like this. I only got this on Kindle because I was like, I need this now. I don't want to wait for it in the mail. (laughs) I I don't know. I I have a credit. I wonder if I can send you a book. I don't know if I can get the book. I'll see. If I can get it, I'll get it to you. No, don't get it. I'm going to support. I'll buy the book. I love girl. It's really, but really, the audible version is just like, and you can tell me, you can report back and be like, you lied, you hyped it up. I'm not, I'm not so, but I promise you, you will be happy that you got the audio. Okay, I'll definitely check it out and I'll let you know what I think. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, thanks again, Jessica. And thank you to everybody that has tuned in. Like I said, make sure you go follow her on all of your socials. Um, Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.